everybody, welcome back to the Insightful Thinkers Podcast. Information revealed by studies in epigenetics has revolutionized the field of genetics in recent years. While the genetic code provides possibilities for an organism, it is the environment that determines if these possibilities will be realized. The primary source for today's episode is Kankerar and Batia Day and Koska, Epigenetics Across the Human Lifespan. This is an article in Frontiers in Cell and Developmental Biology. So this one's going to be kind of some hardcore science today, but hopefully you guys are interested in that or at least interested in epigenetics. For those who don't know what epigenetics is, it's the study of heritable modifications of genes of an organism that occurs without changing the DNA sequence. So epigenetic modifications change not the DNA, the inherent DNA sequence that we have, but how genes are expressed by cells. In epigenetics, some cells are turned, or excuse me, some uh, genes are turned on and some genes are turned off. But the code, your genetic code doesn't change, but it just changes how it's expressed. So what are the things that can change how your genetic code is expressed? Well, let's talk about some epigenetic influences throughout life. One that a lot of us know is our diet. Everybody knows that if we eat healthy, we're going to feel better. And if we eat poorly, we're going to not going to feel well and um, we may experience health problems in the future but we don't really understand why this is the case well it actually operates through epigenetics is what's happening when you uh, modify your diet dietary folate present in a variety of green vegetables like broccoli zucchini brussels sprouts green beans and spinach participates in maintaining a healthy dna methylation profile and even reverses accrued damage uh, methylation what is this methylation profile well that's just the body's modification of the function of genes by adding a methyl group to the dna molecule so all you need to know is that Again, this this is epigenetics. It's not actually changing the DNA sequence. Rather, it's an epigenetic mechanism of methylation that changes the way DNA is expressed. So that's what happens when you eat (laughs) things like green vegetables, um, broccoli and zucchini, and eat your spinach, like Popeye says. Well, some methylation happens on the DNA, and you can it can repair in a sense your dna and creates a more healthy dna profile for you so it it, your diet is impacting your genes through epigenetic mechanisms also everybody knows that exercise is healthy well again this operates through an epigenetic mechanism exercise has been shown to induce positive changes in dna methylation within adipose tissue and also regulate metabolism. Adipose tissue is just fat tissue, so it regulates how fat is almost expressed, um, or genes for regulating fat are expressed in the body. And um, I didn't actually say in the paper whether uh, you'll you'll uh, have less fat on your body if you exercise more. It seems that this. This could be a reasonable assumption from this, but either way, it just regulates how your fat cells are expressed in the body if you exercise. Exercise also leads to beneficial changes in DNA methylation patterns in skeletal muscle. Skeletal muscle is muscle under voluntary control in the body. So for example, your biceps or something like that. And this makes sense because say you're working out, you are working out your skeletal muscle, you're doing bicep curls and 
when you're doing these, for instance, these bicep curls, yes, um, your muscle is growing, but that's just almost like a byproduct of, of what's actually happening kind of inside with the epigenetic mechanisms. And, and it's actually creating healthier muscle and creating beneficial DNA methylation patterns in this muscle along with, with uh, making it look more appealing too. So it's a dual benefit you get from exercise. Exercise also has a positive effect on epigenetic mechanisms and ultimately may reduce incidence and severity of disease as well. So along with the aesthetic appeal, along with the beneficial changes in DNA methylation patterns in skeletal muscle, um, it, it also may reduce severity of disease. So it's, it's not that complex when you really look at it. It's just exercise. Exercise is healthy. But this is just how uh, profound exercise or how profound the effects exercise can have are because uh, it, it's changing how your DNA itself is expressed. So that's kind of what I want to get across in this episode. Another thing that can change the way your DNA is expressed this time on the negative side is chemicals in the environment. Heavy metals, including arsenic, nickel, and cadmium, are widespread environmental contaminants capable of disrupting DNA methylation and, as a result, have been associated with a number of diseases, including cancer, neurological disorders, and autoimmune diseases. Again, there's the, <laughs> there's the more complex thing that we're talking about today of how do these environmental chemicals change how DNA is expressed, but then there's the simple thing of pollution is bad and <laughs> pollution is going to um, lead to disease, disease and disorder. Let's talk about some of the mechanism of this. So metals may act as catalysts in the deterioration of biological macromolecules to produce free radicals and induce negative epigenetic changes. So that's how it's happening in your biology. These metals, they, they, there's the chemistry, it interacts with the chemistry in your DNA and it, it alters your, your own biology to create negative epigenetic changes. High level exposure to benzene, for instance, has been associated with increased risk of leukemia. Benzene exposure may induce altered DNA methylation that creates epigenetic patterns found in malignant cells. So we, we talked about how methylation could have been positive in, uh, with exercise, like positive changes in DNA methylation that occurred from working out. But methylation is not always good. And sometimes it alters the wrong genes. And, and with benzene exposure, um, it can alter tumor suppressor genes. And this can cause cells to reproduce out of control, which is cancer. Cancer is just uncontrollable uh, cell reproduction. So if methylation is happening on these tumor suppressor genes, and if there's too much modification happening to these tumor suppressor genes, then you're not going to be able to put a cap on the way these cells can reproduce. And this is what causes cancer. And, and benzene plays a role in creating these negative methylation patterns, these negative epigenetic patterns in your DNA. Well, you might be asking, okay, I understand benzene does this, but what is the source of benzene? How can I prevent myself from... Uh, whether it's breathing in or consuming benzene. Well, some sources of benzene, and honestly, you guys, there are a lot of sources of benzene. I, I can't list them all here. Um, you can't, you're never going to be able to prevent 
all benzene exposure because a lot of these are just byproducts of what we create as humans as we advance technologically and, and create all these new products. Some sources of benzene are cigarette smoke, gasoline, exhaust fumes. Um, and, and, and also benzene can be released as a byproduct when it's used to create other chemicals like plastics, rubbers, dyes, detergents, and pesticides. Indoor air generally contains levels of benzene higher than those in outdoor air. The benzene in indoor air comes from products that contain benzene, such as glues, paints, furniture, wax, and detergents. So it, in all shapes and sizes, benzene is around. It just comes from human activities. And this is what some of the theories are um, when we talk about, or when science talk, scientists talk about why there's an increased prevalence in cancer and why are these mutations happening at such a frequent rate? Well, maybe it is due to um, these human activities that we don't know are really harming us in these factories and the smoke and the gasoline and things like this that we breathe in every single day. Slowly, it, it has an impact on our DNA through epigenetic mechanisms. Um, let's talk about epigenetic inheritance now, changing gears a little bit. We, we talk about how things in our own environment can alter the way our own DNA is expressed. But let's talk about how things in our parents' environment can be passed, can alter how their genes are expressed. And then those tags, those epigenetic tags can be passed on to their offspring and, and to us. So the definition of epigenetic inheritance is heritable epigenetic modifications that are passed down from parents to offspring. So these modifications say, I'm breathing in all of this benzene, I'm not eating healthily, I'm not exercising. Um, per, potentially, as is in the case of epigenetic inheritance, these types of bad things that I'm doing can be passed on to my kids. And mostly it, go, it comes goes from the mother to the child, but... Um, but just as an example, so it should, and it also should be noted that the idea that epigenetic marks can be directly inherited across generations in humans remains contentious to this day because there's a lot of conflicting evidence of um, do these epigenetic markers really get passed down to to your kids? Many epigenetic modifications, in fact, are spontaneously erased or reset when cells reproduce, thereby precluding their inheritance. So before these epigenetic tags can even be passed on, oftentimes they're erased anyway. So some studies have shown that, uh, that epigenetic changes can be passed on and others have not been able to replicate these results, but we're going to talk about, we're going to talk about a little bit of this. And, and frankly, most of the evidence is in, rodent models like mice and rats, but there have been some human studies that have shown that epigenetic modifications can be passed on. So let's talk about this now. Um, let's talk about the maternal influences on epigenetic inheritance. So influences on the mother's side that can determine the epigenetic changes that are passed on. So in utero, so when the baby, um, when the mother is pregnant with the baby, Maternal gestational diabetes causes the developing fetus to be exposed to high levels of glucose. So if the mother, while she's pregnant with her child, has diabetes, 
The fetus is exposed to high levels of glucose. This high glucose triggers epigenetic changes in the progeny DNA, often resulting in gestational diabetes in the next generation. So just the fact that you have a, a condition um, that, or, or just the glucose in the fetus, it gets, it gets through and it actually alters the chance of the next generation having diabetes as well. Male offspring of pregnant female rats exposed to an endocrine disruptor have been shown to exhibit diseases leading to sperm defects, prostate disease, kidney disease, immune system abnormalities, and an increased rate of tumor development. So the DNA of the babies, even though it's already determined, the disruptive tags that the mother inherited during pregnancy somehow are still passed down to to her male progeny um if she gets an endocrine disruptor even while she's pregnant she she didn't have um, dna errors that existed before becoming pregnant but just because changes started to happen while she was pregnant these negative things start to get passed on to the progeny pregnant rats exposed to high levels of insecticides and fungicides or fungicides, excuse me, have been shown to produce pups with decreased sperm production and increased infertility. These adverse effects were found to last in 90% of the males four generations down the road. And even though these generations were not exposed to the chemicals themselves. So again, you guys, when, again, this may be common knowledge on the simple side of when you're pregnant uh, don't consume alcohol. Watch out for pesticides. Watch out for uh, teratogens in the environment, things that are going to be deleterious to your pregnancy. Um, and don't consume this. Don't consume that. And and this is why, because it, it's making, it's not changing your DNA, but it's changing the way your DNA is expressed. And that actually is getting passed down. And then in this case, you see the, the uh, mother rats who were exposed to insecticides and fungicides they produced pups that had decreased sperm production and infertility and, and totally seemingly unrelated problems. But either way, problems are just created when the mother is not experiencing a healthy life during pregnancy. These findings, however, even though they were in rats and not even in humans, are not known to have been reproduced. So this is just one study. And you guys know by now from listening to some of the science episodes on here that a good scientific discovery, part of the characteristics of that is that it's going to, it should be able to be replicated for it to be influential. If no one is able to replicate it using the same methods, then is it really a discovery or was it just a chance discovery? Let's talk about some of the epigenetic effects in humans and how we can inherit epigenetic changes ourselves possibly. Domestic violence triggers stress in pregnant women that results in epigenetic changes in the DNA of the cortisol receptor in offspring observed during adolescence. The cortisol receptor regulates stress hormones, or it's the receptor for cortisol, which is the main stress hormone in the body. So if you experience domestic violence while you're pregnant, there's more cortisol in your blood. This is getting passed down. Uh, and, and not even through the blood, actually, it's actually through epigenetic changes to the DNA of the uh, uh, cortisol receptor that we see in offspring. 
So because they, you're experiencing more stress during this time, this kind of gets passed down and, and the very uh, DNA is expressed differently in your offspring, even when they're uh, teenagers. So their kids, for example, may not be able to regulate stress as well if you were experiencing stressful events while pregnant. A pregnant woman's environment and behavior during pregnancy, such as whether she eats healthy food, can also change her baby's epigenetics. Again, on the simple side, we know if you eat healthily, your baby's going to be healthy. Why is this? It's, it's due to things inside the DNA. That's kind of... Um, what I wanted to convey with this episode. And I'm, I'm very, I'm, I was very excited to do this one because it's, I, I find it a very interesting topic. Um, some of the changes that get passed down epigenetically also can remain for decades and might make the child more likely to get certain diseases. The best example of this was <clears throat> a study done on the Dutch hunger winter famine that happened in 1944 to 1945. In the last year of the Second World War in Europe, a food embargo imposed by occupying German forces on the civilian population of the Netherlands resulted in a severe famine, coinciding with a particularly harsh winter. Children who were in the womb during the famine experienced a lifelong increase in their chances of developing various health problems and compared to children, or excuse me, compared to children conceived after the famine. Thus, what happens to the mother during pregnancy appears to have an effect on her kids, even as they become adults. So because the mothers were in a famine while pregnant, for one reason or another, now their kids have all these problems that they may not have right away, but down the line, they have an increased risk of developing various health problems. This is due to epigenetic mechanisms, or so it's thought. Let's talk about maternal influences on epigenetic inheritance a little more through now, not nutrition, but through maternal and, and not uh, in utero influences when the mother is pregnant. But let's talk about it after the child is born and the amount of care this, these children get and interaction they get after birth. Granted, these studies are mostly done again in rodent models, but let's talk about these. So, Maternal bonding, you guys, has a profound effect on the physical and psychological welfare of children. Everybody knows this. Again, on the simple side, it's, <laughs> it's, it's, not, uh, it's not rocket science. But again, let's talk about how this is due to epigenetic mechanisms. So these epigenetic mechanisms impact stress responses in the brain. For example, in mice, absence of maternal grooming epigenetically modifies DNA methylation, which alters expression of stress hormone receptors, increasing the stress response in pups. So in a similar way as you got, as we saw that how if the mother is experiencing stress during pregnancy, the stress response of her progeny may not be very good. Well, even after birth, um, if, if, the, if the mother rat or mother mouse is not grooming or is not caring for its young, then the stress response in pups is increased and they can't deal with stress quite as well. Um, again, the potential inability for offspring to deal with stress this time due to not being shown enough care as a pup. Also, licking, grooming, and nursing has been found to lead to enhanced spatial learning in adulthood of mouse offspring. 
pups experiencing frequent licking and grooming by their mother exhibit decrease in stress and anxiety through adulthood as a result of epigenetic changes at cortisol receptors. So this is the opposite now. So if they receive licking, if they receive grooming and nursing, then they get benefits that seem to be totally unrelated to nursing and grooming. They don't become better groomers themselves, but now they have enhanced spatial learning as an adult. Um, and and this is due to the maternal care. So their DNA is already in place because they, they've already been born. It's already set. But by receiving this care, epigenetic changes are made. Their genes are expressed in different ways. Their brain develops better. And then all of a sudden, uh, they experience uh, less stress and they experience enhanced spatial learning when they become adults. Maternal care in rats has also been linked to enhanced hippocampal function and cognitive performance. So this is along the same lines as this discovery, hippocampal function. The hippocampus in your brain is, is quite involved with spatial learning. So this is a study linked to this previous one about how um, if it, if uh, I guess this is in in rats, the other one was in mice. So in, in rats, if they experience more maternal care, then their hippocampus functions better, their brain functions better, and they get enhanced cognitive performance. And this is happening through epigenetics. Maternal separation, on the other hand, so let's what happens when the mother is separated experimentally from her progeny? Well, it's been shown to be associated with serious mood disorders in the offspring's adulthood. And how many times do we see this even in humans? <clears throat> I don't mean to draw a direct line, but how many times do we see that um, children who are neglected, children who are abused, they do end up having serious mood disorders um, in their adulthood. And this is due to these changes. Their, their genes are getting all messed up. The code isn't changing, but the way their genes are being expressed, they can't develop properly if they don't get maternal care. Presumably, therefore, it may be possible to prevent deleterious epigenetic modifications in human children through hugging, cuddling, and other nurturing and stress-alleviating activities. So the take-home message, you guys, hug your kids, care for your kids, because um, my friends and I actually had a, had a discussion about this the other day about how, how much the environment matters versus how much the, the genes matter. And in reality, they, they both matter. It's the, it's the nature-nurture debate. It's not even a debate. They both really matter. And, and yeah, kids are going to turn out how they're going to turn out, but they need to receive the adequate care for their genes to be expressed in the right way. And if that happens, then um, no, they may not be a perfect kid because they still have the, those genes that are, that are guiding them and guiding their development, but it's going to be conducive to giving them a, the greatest chance to develop correctly. Let's close off this episode with the impact epigenetics discoveries have had, specifically on biomedicine and in cancer research. Research into epigenetics could lead to insights into how factors like diet and exercise can be customized to an individual based on their naturally inherited genome in order to minimize the risk of developing a disease to which he or she is naturally predisposed. So research into epigenetics, what they're learn, what scientists are learning is that they can look at the the DNA on one hand, and they can predict, okay, you're more prone to developing this disease, and you're predisposed to this and that. So let's use these epigenetic insights to understand that we have to change your daily routine and 
and what you do in a day so that you your genes are expressed correctly and the things that you're predisposed to won't happen. So let's look at cancer, for example. So um, aging is correlated. <laughs> we're going to get kind of, <laughs> kind of complex here, but bear with me. I'll explain it in a second. So aging is correlated with hypomethylation of proto-oncogenes, but it also with hypermethylation of tumor suppressor genes, potentially leading to an increased risk of cancer and other diseases. So basically in layman's terms, aging leads to increased risk of cancer for two reasons. Well, these are two of the reasons. So there's hypomethylation of proto-oncogenes. So this means that there's not enough stoppage of cancer-causing genes, hypomethylation. There's also hypermethylation of tumor suppressor genes. So there's too much stoppage of cancer-preventing genes. And this is what's happening as you age, and this is why as you age, you're more likely to develop cancer. And the and these are the types of epigenetic changes that can increase your risk for cancer, uh, like breast cancer and and, um, and and all these other types of cancers. So epigenetics can be used to determine which type of cancer a person has, or can help to find hard to detect cancers earlier. They are looking at the methylation patterns of the DNA. They're not looking at the DNA. They're looking at how what hypermethylation there is in the genome what hypomethylation there is in the genome and by looking at these epigenetic changes we can detect cancer earlier now and we can also detect which type of cancer patients have based on their epigenetic signatures this is the way research is starting to help in cancer uh, epigenetic research is starting to help with with cancer research and um and solving some issues with cancer let's look at an example of colorectal cancer. Colorectal cancers have increased methylation at the SEPT9 gene. Some epigenetic tests for colorectal cancer look at this DNA methylation at the SEPT9 gene. So remember, we're, we're looking at these epigenetic signatures in the genome. These epigenetic-based tests can help find cancer early. So they, by looking at the signatures and they know exactly where there's too much methylation happening, they can detect this cancer earlier using epigenetics, you guys. And that really is what science is for, isn't it? It's not just for making cool discoveries. It's not just making advancements, general advancements that nobody uh, will ever use. It's about making applicable ones too. And that's why epigenetics is so interesting and um, <laughs> at least to me and hopefully it was to you guys thank you as always for listening to this episode you guys we are growing our community through word of mouth um, you guys have been doing a great job of of sharing these episodes with other people so as always please share this one with with one or two people who are also interested in epigenetics or genetics dna biology and things like this please subscribe or follow and leave a star rating or a review on Apple Podcasts and a like on YouTube. Share your ideas through the YouTube comment section, the Connect page on the website, or through social media. Uh, check out the blog posts on the website. And for show notes and access to our monthly video call, you can support the podcast on Patreon. Whatever you guys do to support, listening and watching is always plenty, as I say every time. Thank you guys. Thank you guys a million for listening to the Insightful Thinkers podcast. We will be back next Monday, as always, for more in-depth analysis into a diverse set of topics. Take care, everybody.